Hello and welcome to this very first Strip Back the Pages podcast. In this episode, I will introduce myself and share with you how music and literature have influenced and enhanced my life. We'll look at why people read and enjoy stories in the first place. I will reveal the blueprint behind these podcasts and what you can expect in future episodes. And then, a little exercise to tease those creative taste buds. Welcome to the Strip Back the Pages podcast. I'm NJ and I'm really looking forward to exploring the heart of storytelling with you. So why are stories so important? What do they do and what drives authors to write them in the first place? As we delve into the intricacies of this worldwide phenomenon, I will also share my personal experiences, the highs and lows of writing and publishing, my successes and failures. Join with me as I, as we, journey towards an unwritten future. So where do I begin? Well, how about this? Once upon a time, there was a baby boy who somehow won the Bonnie Baby of the Year competition when he was two years old. Yep, two years old, apparently. His mother told him that he was a model child. Well, she would, wouldn't she? Come on. Don't worry, though, that soon changed. I promise. From an early age, he had this fascination with stories and used to love being read to at infant school during the last lesson on a Friday afternoon. Do you remember those times in your childhood? That expectation, the excitement. Do you remember how you felt and how certain parts of a story grabbed your attention? What the small boy remembers was that as our hero found himself in a desperate predicament, his heart rate would rise as the boy feared for his hero's safety. And then, of course, those feelings of elation when the endangered protagonist was either rescued or won the fight. We've all felt that, haven't we? And yes, for the record, That boy is me. Stories play such an important role as we grow up and at an early age they start teaching us morals and ways to stay out of danger. Take, for example, the fables, The Three Little Pigs or The Boy Who Cried Wolf. In The Three Little Pigs, we learned about building on solid foundations and the dangers involved if you don't. And, of course, in The Boy Who Cried Wolf, which was one of my personal favourites, we were taught very early on the perils of lying and yet we still do it. Well... Little white ones, very occasionally. Now there's a thought. How about a modern version of The Boy Who Cried Wolf? Written for adults, of course. I'll share it when it's done. Right, come on now. When you were a kid, did you enjoy nursery rhymes? I loved them. And behind many, not when we knew this at the time, were often tales derived from the history books. Take Humpty Dumpty, for example. Well, this is a podcast on revealing what's behind the story. We've got to start somewhere. After all, nursery rhymes are the universal stories shared in childhood. Humpty Dumpty dates back to 1797, and it is thought that this nursery rhyme's meaning related not to a large egg, but a military cannon. In 1648, during the end stages of the English Civil War, King Charles I ordered his men to retreat behind the walls of Colchester. One of their defensive cannons was named Humpty Dumpty. The section of the wall he was on endured terrible damage during an attack, to the point that the wall could no longer sustain the weight of the mighty cannons. Humpty Dumpty therefore came crashing down, smashing into many pieces. Sadly, nothing could put Humpty Dumpty together again. The King's army lost the war the following year. And then there's Three Blind Mice, which dates back to 1609. Don't worry, this isn't going to be a history lesson, but... I don't know, I think sometimes these dates are interesting, quite important, so bear with me. 
In the nursery rhyme, the three blind mice were thought to be three Anglican bishops who were accused by Mary I, otherwise of course known as Bloody Mary, of blindly following their Protestant faith. The Queen, a Catholic, had these bishops and over 280 other religious dissenters burned at the stake for heresy. Back in the day, people were usually blindfolded when they were executed, which could explain why the mice were blind. I won't go through all the reasons behind nursery rhymes, but if you want to explore these further, let me know and I will do a section on them in a future episode. Okay, back to my story. Something I loved doing as a young child was using my imagination. A friend of mine, Chris, and I would spend hours making up and recording stories on tape. We'd record war stories, superhero stories, stories of wizards, witches, monsters, and everything else in between. Complete, of course, with, with the sound effects, which on playback was quite interesting. We'd spend literally hours at it, utilising that creative gift we all have inside us. As I discovered, you just have to harness it. So a year or so after we met, Chris and I went to the Abbey School, Tewkesbury. I was fortunate enough to win a scholarship and join the acclaimed Abbey School Choir under the directorship of Michael Peterson, who I will always mention as he was such a huge influence on my musical life. It was while at the Abbey School that my Uncle Bob, who again I always thank publicly and have done on numerous occasions, sat me at his white upright piano when I was nine. I'll never ever forget it. I played a few notes and then not long after was experimenting with chords. It was interesting. At the time, my uncle was playing Maxine Nightingale's right back where we started from, and I picked it up pretty quickly. The result? Piano lessons, with the late Michael Peterson, who I remained friends with until he sadly died in 2006, leaving an incredible legacy. It's interesting, as I look back, I was just so shy. I was almost scared to take piano lessons, because I knew that what we did, when term finished, we'd have a little concert, and I knew I'd have to play there. I was just terrified, so I didn't want to do it. But I was encouraged, and I'm glad I did. The rest, as they say, is history, other than to add that my time in the choir led to my first TV appearance when we sang on the BBC magazine programme Preble Mill at One back in the mid-70s and performed with the choir at various historic venues. Now, for those who want to know, here's a bit of inside information. The BBC canteen was all that it was cracked up to be. Absolutely superb, and I really mean that. We arrived at the television centre in the morning and had a rehearsal, followed by a fabulous lunch. The programme was, of course, a live show, and when we weren't performing, the choir sat on the stage steps. I remember us boys chatting briefly to members of the New Seekers, who wished us good luck for the show, and Marion Foster, smiling at me as she suggested to our headmaster that I needed to be not quite so serious. Well, I was trying to squeeze into a rather tight spot to sit down, and there wasn't a lot of room. Even then, I was getting very interested in the technical side of things. There were three cameras in operation, each being lit with a red light when it was live. What a day. At the time, I had no idea where that experience and my time in the choir would lead, but I had discovered the joy of music, which is, of course, the language of the soul. Music releases our inner feelings and moods, and just like the written word, it tells stories, as I'll demonstrate at the end of this episode. Anyway, back to the tale. Those formative years gave me a wonderful foundation in life, but the troubles and problems still came, just as it unfortunately does for all of us. So how do we cope with our challenges? How does what we read, watch and listen to shape us? Let's look at it. Over 30,000 years ago, before we had the written word, our ancestors used to do carvings and paintings on their cave walls. 
These were created for a variety of reasons, including to portray beauty, share emotions, and of course to teach. Visions were painted by shamans foreseeing successful hunts, and depictions of real and mythical animals dating back many thousands of years have been discovered. Ancient stories would be handed down through word and imagery from generation to generation to teach and educate, until eventually these stories became legends. Look at the many preserved stained glass windows in our churches and cathedrals. They each tell a story. Legends such as the tale of Robin Hood, Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table were shared around the world. We were told about Beowulf and evil witches with their cauldrons and spells, and how, if we couldn't escape them, we would be damned to eternal doom. And then, if that wasn't enough, more recently, back in 1897, we learned about the evil. Count Dracula. Ah, I hear you say. But it was a story. And it was. A story indeed. Written by Bram Stoker, did you know that parts of Dracula are true? As with many stories, they're often inspired by the experiences of the author, by researched facts and by theoretical possibilities. I will expand on this next week. So, back to my own story. How many of you were bullied at school and how did you cope? Sadly, particularly in my teens, I was bullied pretty badly. Children can be really nasty little devils when they want to be, can't they? I mean, we all know that, don't we? All the usual stuff, name-calling, being pushed around, if not thumped, chased off the school bus, those who have been through it know what I mean. The result, though, is that the victim loses their self-esteem and needs a form of escape. And it's the same for adults who are bullied and abused. What makes it worse is when the victim is then accused of being the abuser which is precisely what we were told happened to Johnny Depp in his recent trial, and it almost ruined his career. The truth, though, as they say, always comes out in the end, and I'm thrilled that Johnny is already working on a new film, not to mention what he's doing musically. And he's a fantastic guitarist, isn't he? You know, just brilliant. But how do you get through those challenging times? For me, it was reading and making music. When you immerse yourself in a good book, nothing else matters, does it? Don't you find that? From the moment you start reading, you enter a different universe, a place where you are learning from, even making new friends with the characters in the story. You are escaping into their world, experiencing the protagonist's journey, the highs and lows from it. Good books and films convey a message of hope, and you nearly always come away from it invigorated and inspired. That's what I find anyway. So back to the music. In my late teens, I co-founded my first band and continued developing my composing and songwriting skills. By the time I was 26, I was a music director, training choirs, teaching, recording music and performing. Entertaining people is a privilege. Now trust me on that, it really is. And it's just a joy. Because just as when readers delve into a book, they are allowing you to take them somewhere unknown. You're taking them on a journey. A good performer guides their listeners' emotions. Look at how you feel when you hear and experience the energy of upbeat rock songs and the contrast when a ballad is then played. You become immersed in the journey gifted to you from the artist, and believe me, it is a gift. Look at one of the greatest showmen that ever lived, if not the greatest, Freddie Mercury. He was totally unique and had people eating from the palm of his hands. He's taught so many entertainers how to do it. Freddie had complete control of his audience, from getting them to sing back various phrases, joining in the rhythmic clapping of Radio Gaga and We Will Rock You. For those who have done it, how did you feel after singing along to We're the Champions? Freddie Mercury and Queen, of course, they had it. Again, don't you agree? You know, for me, 
just the best band. And of course, recording. Their recording techniques, their, their arrangements, production, all first class. Ironically, in my own gigs, I would nearly always finish my show with the Queen medley. And I got the same results every time. We'd bring the house down and party. And when I say party, I mean party. It's all about the experience. And a good book or film should do the same. Take you to a new realm of existence. So how about the creation process? While living in Loughborough, I started to really get into the music of Elton John. And over the next few years, discovered a few similarities. In 1999, I became involved in the musical Love and War, The First 2000 Years, written to celebrate the new millennium, which was premiered at Loughborough Town Hall in June 2000. I was the show's composer and music director and would have regular meetings with Graham North, the musical's creator. We would work as follows. Graham would bring the lyrics he'd written into the studio and either on the spot or over the next few days, I'd sit down at the piano and write the music, working precisely as Elton does with his lyricist Bernie Taupin. Yes, I could work both ways. In other words, write the music first and then add the lyrics. But what I loved most about working this way was that the lyrics would inspire me. I would read them, get the feel and mood of what they were saying, and the music would just evolve. And it's precisely the same as writing a book, as I'm now experiencing. I think back to those times with Graham. We had so much fun. I mean, he'd stand there. There's the music, the lyrics rather, and I'd just play. You know, you just... You feel the rhythm, you, you feel the rhythm and then you work on a few chord progressions, the tune comes and it is, it's, it's inspiring. I think I've written most of my music, my best stuff has just been inspired like that and it is, it's a moment happens and words can't describe it really. Anyway, I had so much fun being involved in that show and it's a period of my life I will never forget. Seven years later, I would find myself performing a regular tribute show to Sir Elton, playing open-air festivals and UK tours. I was also featured in a pilot TV programme called I Can't Believe, which sadly didn't take off, but it did lead to two appearances on Australian TV, as, of course, the one and only. I had the most incredible ten years with the show and got to meet and work with artists from a vast spectrum of musical genres. I rubbed shoulders with the likes of Sir Bob Geldof, Motorhead, Keith Chagwin, and had the privilege of performing alongside the late, great Martin Alcock from Fairport Convention, and years earlier, the international trumpeter Roger Oliveira, who's worked with the likes of George Michael, Elton, and so many others. But, as we all know, life can suddenly trip you up, and I developed a heart rhythm problem. Medical intervention saved the day, but in the interests of my health, I had to slow down. I had no choice, really. I didn't want to, but I had to see sense. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's not fun, but... You get on with it. So this is what's so ironic. Had that not happened, I don't think I would ever have put pen to paper and started writing. And I would never in a million years have considered doing a podcast. Was all this predestined? Was it fate? What do you think? What are your thoughts about fate? Again, it's really interesting stuff. It's an interesting topic. Yeah, it certainly got me thinking. One night after watching a 2017 film, A Dog's Purpose, which was based on a 2010 novel by American author W. Bruce Cameron about a dog's journey through four lives via reincarnation, it got me thinking more about life and what's out there. Do aliens exist? And after a group of friends said it was a great idea, started writing my first novel. As I said, I had never considered writing a book, yet alone having a career as an author and content creator. 
but I'm really pleased it's happened and I'm so looking forward to sharing my journey with you. My aim with these podcasts is really simple. It's to give enjoyment to you readers, providing you a behind-the-scenes experience and to encourage authors. I want people to learn from my mistakes and celebrate my successes. As I stated in the show's introduction, we all have an unwritten future. And if you've been through tough times, you can reset the clock and start again. You've just got to force yourself to do it. Like my late father, who was an inventor and design engineer and could make absolutely anything, and I mean anything, including a motorboat, from scratch before I and my brother came along, I suffered from depression, leading to three suicide attempts. So yes, I can definitely say I've been there and I've well and truly got the t-shirt. Again, it was immersing myself in books, films and music that got me through. And if you're a depressive, it can do the same for you. I'm so fortunate to have had amazing parents and I often think back to times I was in my dad's workshop, watching him design and manufacture a very small component that went in the early pacemakers and creating the metal loop system seen housing microphones used at events such as Wimbledon and all over the world. It's interesting as I think back and ironic that I'm now writing, as my dad's father did, who authored several books after working for the likes of Sir Barnes Wallace, who's a very, very clever man. And these are all things I'm immensely proud of. And I believe it was from them that I inherited my musical and creative abilities. So there we have it, my backstory. And each and every one of us has one. You know, they say there's a book in everyone. There is. Your story. Everyone likes stories. We like to share them. We like to hear them. We like to tell them. So write a book. Write a book. Okay, the blueprint behind this podcast and what you can expect in future episodes. Let me ask you a question. Do you enjoy watching behind-the-scenes footage, either on films you bought on DVD, for example, or Blu-ray, online? Do you enjoy YouTube videos about how things are made and created, such as the models used in films like Star Wars or The Terminator, and how the CGI and other special effects are produced? And then what about the interviews where the producer tells you the story about how a certain project began, how they selected the actors and composer, etc. I spent quite a lot of time recently looking at some Hans Zimmer videos of how he creates his music, how he starts with the synth patches from literally nothing, just a small saw wave or a square wave, and just developing it and building it. And it's something I'm learning to do myself at the moment. The creativity, the things you can do with sound, are just so immense. You know, look at films. Instrumentals can tell you a story. Again, as I'll be demonstrating at the end of the show. I love looking at anything behind the scenes and everyone I've asked about it have said the same. It's the story behind the story that interests us. Take Dracula, for example. As I was preparing this episode, I came across a very interesting article about the story behind this most iconic vampire, and it's fascinating. Feel free to Google it yourself, but I'll be doing a special episode on it, and yes, other spooky books and perhaps films, next week. Why next week? I've got to, haven't I? I mean, come on, I've got to. It's Halloween. The original preface, which was published in the Icelandic version of Dracula, included this passage written by the author. I'm quite convinced that there is no doubt whatever that the events here described really took place, however unbelievable and incomprehensible it might appear at first sight, and I'm further convinced that they might always remain to some extent incomprehensible. 
Over the coming months, I will be sharing what inspires me and the reasons behind some of my creations. It isn't just a story that we seem to be interested in, but the thinking behind it. Were the characters based on real people? Did the author personally experience what they're writing about? For me, the answer is a categorical yes. Oh, good, I hear you say. Do tell. No. Well, not yet. But I promise you one thing. I will. And soon. Before I started on my first novel, there was one question I was always asking. And I'm certain it's one you'll have asked many times yourself once you've gotten over the shock of what happened. Why do authors feel compelled to kill off certain characters? Allow me to answer that one. In my novel that I'm releasing soon, I took the decision to kill off a major character. Why, I hear you say. It's cruel. Hmm. The answer is really simple. In life, we lose people we love, from family to friends. It's an awful and very sad time, but it's part of life. In my early writing studies, I was watching a video on YouTube of Stephen King, the master of horror, who has written masterpieces like The Shining, Carrie, Misery, and so many others. In it, he explained that if you want to be taken seriously as an author, you must be prepared to kill off your characters. So, any new aspiring authors out there, you know who are listening in, and thank you for listening. You must do that. You've got to be able to kill off characters. It's advice I've never forgotten. It makes the story real, which is precisely what we want. The character I decided to kill off was someone special. I mean, really special. And you know something, I'll be honest, uh, there's, a, there's a funeral scene in the book. And when I wrote it, I mean, I was, I was in tears. You know, I was bawling my eyes out. But of course, fiction is fiction for a reason. Did you know that Sherlock Holmes was killed off in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Final Problem, published in 1893, during the final showdown with his arch-enemy, Professor James Moriarty? And then, three years later, the Victorian detective was resurrected in The Adventures of the Empty House. Does this remind you of anything? How about Bobby Ewing walking out of the shower in Dallas way back in 1986? Yes, I know. I'm showing my age. But who cares? Coming back to the present moment, I just want you to know how excited and privileged I am to be sharing this journey with you. So let's look at the second element behind all of this. What drives us to immerse ourselves into the make-believe worlds of magic and adventure that authors create? For precisely the same reason people go to the cinema, or sporting and music events, to get away from those mundane stresses of life. This is what my very good friend Leighton Morrell told me when I asked him this question. We all need space from time to time. Those occasions when we can escape from the pressures of life. This appears to be the main reason people read. But interestingly, Leighton also added this, and he's so right, that you can learn more about yourself by drawing comparisons to certain characters. Now I've got to do this, as I owe Leighton a huge thank you. He's a show's production consultant. He's helped me bounce ideas. He's designed all the strip back the pages imagery. He's done loads of the background computer tech. And I'm just so incredibly, incredibly grateful. So Leighton, thank you so much. Now, here are some other more random reasons why people read. Having just finished the book... They want to move on to the next in the series to follow the continuing adventure and find out what happens next to the characters they've been following. To use your imagination in a way you can't with TV and film. After all, everyone I've spoken to, and I myself, nearly always find that a book is better than its visual adaptation. With crime books, people want to see if they manage to work out who done it. Now don't you do that? Someone's partner is watching TV, so they pick up a book. 
They find TV boring. Some people read while they're waiting for their kids to come out from school, or waiting to meet someone. They will read while at the train station or airport, plus, of course, while travelling on trains and aeroplanes. Ironically, they won't read while on a bus, because there are too many starts and stops. Taxi drivers will read while waiting for passengers. People read during lunch breaks at work, or while relaxing on holiday. I mean, I used to read so many books when I was on holiday. I used to love it. And most importantly, some people read because they're lonely. Loneliness can be a cruel state of existence. And it's something I think we all go through from time to time, especially after losing your husband, wife or a partner. As we all know, a great way of combating this is by reading. Yes, you can also do this by watching a film or TV, but there's a magic involved in picking up a good book and opening its pages, as we looked at briefly earlier. Someone once said that reading is the closest thing we'll ever get to time travel. And I think it's true, because you're absorbing into that subject. I guess the same with the film. You're getting absorbed in, you're drawn into a, a new world, a new realm. So here's the conclusion. The bottom line is that people read for a variety of reasons, but the main one is to escape. As previously mentioned, we all have our stresses and everyday difficulties in life, and there's no shame in admitting that. An enjoyable book will re-energise you for the challenges ahead. And so, as we're near the end of this first episode, I'd like to share what you can expect from this series. There'll be plenty of behind-the-scenes tales. We will look at the hows, whys and whats that are behind stories such as Harry Potter, Sherlock Holmes, James Bond, Star Trek, Santa Claus, Dracula that we're doing next week, Robin Hood, Merlin and many others. For writers and those who want to know more about what goes into creating an epic tale, we will look at how to create a good plot and why cliffhangers are so important, together with many other aspects of writing and why we do it. I will be doing a good number of interviews with authors and everyone involved in the creation process and get their experiences and opinions. We will explore how stories can trigger our hormones and emotions, allowing us to feel happiness, sadness, fear and anticipation, to name just a few, and how reading fiction and self-help books can change our lives forever. You know it's ironic, but I started broadcasting on hospital radio when I was in my 20s, and this podcast makes me feel like I've come full circle. So I am so pleased to be doing this for you, to hopefully enjoy and get pleasure from. This is your show, and I would love to hear from you. Your thoughts and ideas of the podcast and what you'd like featuring in future episodes. So finally, if you remember, earlier on, I said I'd give you an exercise in identifying moods and images conveyed through a piece of music. If you're an author, you may even get a story idea. Over the coming weeks on a monthly basis, I'll share other examples that will either be short, written excerpts of something, or an instrumental. We could even try it with one chord, or one musical phrase played utilising different sound palettes. Please share any ideas you have, perhaps even something you've written. You can connect with me by emailing stripbackthepages at gmail.com or via Twitter at stripbackpages. I'll list these details in the show notes. So, I composed Song Without Words when I was 13. I hope you enjoy it, but more importantly, what images come to mind? I look forward to your comments. Thank you for listening, and I trust you will have a fabulous and enjoyable week. Until next time, signing off.